to episode 101 of the Cricket Her Weekly. And we're recording this this week in the aftermath of one of the most violent storms that we've seen in history. But enough about Izzy Westbury's Twitter feed. <laughs> um, let's, talk, let's talk instead about some cricket. Yeah, so right. we've had the... Um, thanks for that, Sid. Let's welcome in the new century with another stupid joke from you. Um, by the way, thanks thanks to Rob uh, for commenting with your favourite moment from the from the uh, previous hundred episodes, which was Sid's stupid tie joke. Which I had to be reminded what it was. I can't even remember which episode it was. Anyway, um, it was when they the ICC abolished ties, and Sid, did you, you wear one round your head or something? Something like that. Anyway. Um, thanks for all the nice comments as well. It was really nice to mark the hundredth episode with some with some lovely comments. Absolutely. Okay, so um, we've had New Zealand v India um, going on this week, and we talked briefly in last week's episode, I think, about um, about the the T Twenty. Um, but we've obviously had three ODIs now, um, and the situation is that um, I look like a complete wally because it's three nil. To New Zealand and obviously 4-0 overall with that victory in the T20 as well. Um, Sid, you, unlike me, you've actually been getting up at stupid o'clock to watch some of these matches, so what have you made of it all? Um, yeah, I mean, I haven't watched every ball, um, but I've, I've watched a, a reasonable amount from about sort of 3am of the, the matches that we've had in the ODI mm-hmm. series. Um, and well, it's been kind of, it's been obviously really positive for New Zealand. I think that most people had New Zealand down as definitely as outsiders in terms of the World Cup. Um, you know, there was that there's that ongoing thing of their dependency upon these sort of three or four older players. Um, but I think we've seen some really significant things in this ODI series. So we've got Susie Bates, who scored her first uh, international century for like four years, um, which is you know what a time to come back into form. Yeah. Um, Amelia Kerr, her yeah. second international century and her first since uh, the the huge innings against Ireland, which you know perhaps was starting to look like that was a little bit of a one-off. Um, but, you know, she's come back and you know she's obviously moved up the order and continued to to make small contributions. She's made the odd fifty, but a really big contribution was still lacking. But she's shown she can still do that. So that's brilliant news for them. Actually, I think even more significant was the performance of Lauren Down in, in the, the third ODI. So uh, New Zealand really looked kind of down and out, about 20 overs to go. And they looked like they did something to sort of six and a half and over. Um, and I was looking at this going, was this really worth getting up for? Um, but Lauren Down really made it worth getting up for. Um, you know, she kept them in it. She kept the, the run rate under control. Um, it got perhaps a little bit like... And with sort of three overs to go, well, they needed a whack of runs off one of those overs. But what she did that was so important as well, she, she scored those runs off the penultimate over. She didn't leave it all to the last over. Um, and in the last over, she needed six off the last over, which meant that kind of almost the pressure was off. And she just did it in one ball, smashed six. Um, and for her to be doing that, that's, that's such brilliant news for New Zealand because she's not one of their classic big players. Um, what do you think, Raf? Yeah, totally agree. Um, obviously, wasn't watching live, but and did watch the highlights of that match um, and just the way that she finished it off. Um, she confirmed your rule about it being the penultimate over that matters, um, and then smashing that six. How satisfying! And you're exactly right what you say. And that the thing that's let New Zealand down has been that their kind of, especially their lower middle order batting, um, has really been very weak, and so they've been very susceptible to enormous collapses. 
Um, and um, you know what Lauren Down did was show that actually that wasn't um, what was going to happen and and it really gives me confidence going into the World Cup for them um, it's obviously a big occasion because it's their home World Cup um, and I was a bit nervous that they were going to potentially have a flop and that it was going to look really bad um, but actually given that they're performing so well against um, you know one of the best teams in the world um, that's really exciting and I'm Richard Clark um, who's uh, women's um women's crit day on twitter um, pointed out that um i have a bit of a curse of i curse new zealand by backing them for the world cup i think he's being a bit unfair because i can only really remember backing them for the 2017 world cup um, and being really disappointed when they underperformed in that and i do definitely remember in 2017 saying i think that they're an outside bet to win and of course they didn't even make the semi-finals so um, that's that was slightly embarrassing, um, but yeah, I think on this occasion, um, I don't think there's there's anything wrong with me backing them, and hopefully it's not put the put the mockers on them. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's really exciting. Um, it's been a bit disappointing though from an Indian perspective, hasn't it, Sid? Well, yeah, I guess that I mean, you know, it's been fascinating watching Twitter go through and oh. seeing um, you know the, the level of passion of Indian fans, and obviously they've been very disappointed with. You know the results, and you know they've they've hit some big scores, and you know there've been a couple of close games, but you know it's it's New Zealand that have got over the line, yeah. and they haven't for a variety of different reasons. But there have been some you know bright spots for for India. Let's first of all say I think this is this is actually really important. Okay, that um, there's still two games left in the series, and if you were going to win any two games in the series, given that this is basically a series of warm-ups for the World Cup, you're going to want to win those last two games. You know, if the series ends up three-two. To, um, to New Zealand, then I think that ultimately India are going to be the happier team out of that okay. going into the World Cup because they won the last two games. And similarly, if New Zealand had lost the first three games but won the last two, then actually they'd have been the ones that were happier because at the end of the day, no one's going to remember the overall result of this series. What's important is getting that momentum going into the World yeah. Cup. So still quite opportunity for India there. Smriti is going to be back, um, you know, their best player. Um, and she's definitely been missed in these first three games, because you know, there's a couple of those close games, a few extra runs opt up or something, then uh, could have made all the difference. Um, but there's been some good performances as well from India, Indian perspective. Um, so, Sabanini Meghna, um, I really hope I haven't butchered your name. <laughs> um, uh, she's actually not part of the sort of main World Cup squad. She's a reserve, so she's not going to get to play in the World Cup unless yeah, somebody's injured or gets COVID. I think that's really disappointing. And actually, I think that you're wrong to say that um, that they've missed Mariti at the top of the order because I think that Megna has been um, excellent and she's been hitting the ball so cleanly. Yeah, she's been great, hasn't she? She's she's been really smashing it. And, and, she... and if I was in there, then I'd be tempted to have one of your main squad go <laughs> down with COVID <laughs> and sub her in. Sorry, I do obviously do, uh, do maintain professionalism and keep to the ICC rules, but that's what I'd be doing. Um, yes. <laughs> okay. So anyway, but she's she's been great. I mean, yeah. she's hit some she's hit some some really nice shots. Um, you know, she's played quite freely, and you know, there's been a, a, a few instances where you know she's like had some lucky lucky misses, so yeah. she got dropped quite early on in the third game. Um, and you know, there's been a, some sloggy cricket, um, but definitely a positive for the future. Um, and I think that um, we need to say a word about Shefali mm -hmm. as well. So um, I actually tweeted about this. I tweeted specifically about Shefali's fielding. So that's been great. Um, she's definitely improved. So you know, the word on the street or in the press box, as as we call it. 
um, last summer in the Indian series was that Shafali's fielding was poor and that she was a bit of a liability in the field. Yeah. We didn't know where to place her. You know, if you put her on the rings, she'll miss things. If you put her on the boundary, she'll miss things. How do we hide her? Um, she's she's definitely heard that criticism or the coaching team have heard that criticism. They've woken up to it. They've addressed it. She's looking fitter. She's moving across the ground faster. She's taking the ball better. Um, she had one juggling catch yesterday, but on the other hand, she had a couple of fantastic stops in the outfield as well. Um, and it's so important for these young players that, that get kind of heralded so early early on in their careers to, to kind of not get into a mindset of, well, I scored 80 or 50 balls when I was 16. I can just, just coast along for the rest of my career. <laughs> you can't do that. You have to keep working. Um, so, you know, and she's definitely showed that she's doing that. Uh, also, you know, a, a very important 50 for her in the third game. Yeah. So there have been some people, people saying that, she, you know, that she'd been found out and that her career was virtually over and, you know, she was never going to be the same player again. I don't think that was true. I never thought that was true. Um, because, you know, you saw her play in the test, you saw that she could play a different form of cricket. Um, but it was important for her to put a score in just to kind of set the marker and go, guys, you know, I'm still here and I can still boss this game when I want to. The other thing that's perhaps the most important thing of all is that, that opening partnership in the third third game, uh, where she she kind of took a sort of secondary role to Meghna in the, in the early part of it. Um, and that meant that, you know, it was a very mature way of playing. And she was like, okay, well, I can play the anchor role here. Yeah. And I was, she was still going actually reasonably quickly. And she still ended up with a strike rate for about 100. But she speeded she up, was, I think, when yeah. Megna got out. Um, but she was, she was happy to play that secondary role because Megna was playing the really attacking role. And that shows a degree of maturity to be able to go, okay, I'm going to play a slightly different game this time. That's what's, you know, the, the, the hallmark of Heather Knight's career has been the ability to do that, the ability to totally change her game on a, you know, by switching on a sixpence when she needs to, to change from attack to defence or, you know, to go at this run rate or that run rate. And if Shafali can take that kind of maturity going forwards, then she's got, a, you know, a really impressive career ahead of her. Okay. Um, but on the kind of minus side for India, um, it's been really the middle order that's looked a bit weak um, in a kind of role reversal of the usual expectation that we would see of... Um, of New Zealand. Um, so you mentioned at the start that there'd been a bit of a Twitter storm this week around um, something that Izzy Westbury tweeted, um, which I think was something like um, Matali Raj is both the best and the worst thing in Indian cricket at the moment, um, which is a kind of intriguing um, assessment. Uh, but obviously Matali has been doing her usual Matali thing of scoring runs, um, but not quite going at the strike rate that people seem to find acceptable. Yeah, and it's weird, it's particularly in the first ODI, it looked like she was lacking impetus. Um, and it, it, it was it was it was odd because the scorecard actually looked better than than the the performance on the field. The performance looked sluggish. And in fact, the scorecard wasn't that bad. It was a strike rate of like seventy five or something. But it looked like she was going at, I don't know forty five fifty. Um, and so that didn't help. I don't think. Um, but you I know, she has she has put the runs in. Right? I think that some of the criticism of her has been a bit unfair, to be honest. Okay. Um, it reminds me of the criticism that there always was um, towards the end of Charlotte Edwards' career when she was still the leading run scorer for England, but people were saying, oh, she can't really run very quickly between the wickets and, um, you know, she's not playing with this kind of new style of play that we expect. Um, but it's very difficult. It's a very brave decision to get rid of somebody who's still regularly turning out half centuries for you. Um, when you've got other players in the team, like Harman Breit, who are basically living off one innings from what, five years ago in the in the 2017 World Cup. So I think that um, actually it's a brave, it would be a brave person, a brave selector or coach who would actually um, say, oh no, Matali Raj is, is India's problem at the moment. I don't really agree with that. 
Yeah, and it's, it's, you know, it's fair enough to point some fingers at Harmon Freak, definitely, and that was something that people were saying on Twitter. Um, you know, Harmon Freak's in four innings in, in New Zealand. She's scored like 45 runs off 78 balls or something. So it's, it's not a great turn. And then, yeah, as you say, she's kind of still living. I mean, you know, I, I was there at Derby in the crowd. Yeah. Um, I wasn't <laughs> in the press box that day. I was sitting with my son in the crowd and we watched, you know, what was the probably the greatest individual performance I've ever seen, probably the greatest individual performance of all time. But it does really start to feel like she's living off that a bit too long. Yeah, it was a spectacular innings. And of course, she's turned out similar performances in, well, not quite as dramatic, but she's turned out some really good performances in WBBL and in the English domestic stuff over the years since then. We know that she can do it. We know she can turn it on. I'm afraid that there is a little bit of me that thinks, well, what's going on within the Indian setup? Um, where you know you've got players like Harman Preet and obviously Rodriguez as well, who are um, able to play better in domestic competitions than they are in internationals. That's yeah. There's something a bit wrong there, isn't there? Yeah, and it's it's it's, weird. it's not even a pressure thing that you see you see that with some players. You know, we've we've talked about Amy Jones about how she she seems to find the pressure mm -hmm. of coming out in the international scene difficult, and she'll play much better in domestic cricket. Whereas we know that Harman Preet can do it at the international level, so. Interesting question, interesting dilemmas for India going into the to the World Cup, but I guess that, that they're not going to not select her, so that, you know, that, that middle order is kind of harnessed in, and, you know, it'll come good eventually. I mean, I, I think that, that, you know, that class is permanent thing is, is going to mm -hmm. out itself, and that, you know, there will be a score to come in the World Cup. Okay, we'll have to wait and see. The other big news this week, um, a bit closer to home, has been that we have had the announcement for um, England's fixtures for our 2022 summer, um, which has been quite exciting. Um, so the headlines are that so we're going to be playing South Africa and we're going to be playing then India um, in the back end of the summer. Um, and obviously, it's been leaked out. Um, and Alex Hartley, I think, basically semi-announced it during the Women's Ashes commentary. Maybe maybe wasn't supposed to. Um, that England are going to be playing South Africa in a test. So we've had that officially confirmed. Um, and it's going to be at Taunton, um, which is where the 2019 Ashes series, Ashes test was played. One of um, our favourite places as well, Ruff. We love Taunton, yeah. Which seems to have spent a lot of time in a very, very sleepy Somerset town where there's not really anything there except a few shops in the cricket ground. Anyway, um, we'll, we'll be looking forward to that. Um, and then obviously they'll be playing South Africa in ODIs and T20s as well. Um, and then they'll be playing India um, in September um, in ODIs and T20s. Um, and it's also been confirmed that the South Africa ODIs won't be championship ones. So they won't count for the next qualifying round for the next World Cup. Um, but the India matches will be championship ones. So there'll be quite a lot at stake there because that'll be um, one of the first kind of chances for either of those teams to get any championship yeah, points off the next cycle. Um, so that's quite exciting. Um, you looking forward to it, Sid? Yeah, and I think that, you know, we've, we've given the ECB a lot of stick on, you know, on the no. side. <laughs> occasionally. Um, but let, let's give them some praise over this yeah. because I think they've definitely been listening. So let, let's, let's, I think there's three important points here that come out of just the fixtures alone. So there's a test, uh, a, a test that's not against Australia, a test against South Africa. It's the first test we've played against South Africa since... 2003. Um, which is quite a long time ago. Um, <laughs> just a bit. And... Um, you know, the, the players have been demanding more test cricket, the hardcore fans have been demanding more test cricket and the ECB have listened to that and they've, they've you know, they've got us another test. So that's brilliant mm, news. Yeah, I think, um, okay. Um, you go on and say your second. The, the second point 
um, that we've had a lot of people have mentioned over the years the lack of games up north. Um, so much so that somebody actually re reflectively responded to our initial tweet of the announcement going, are there going to be any games up north then? Well, there was, there oh. are, and there is a game up north. They're going to play a game in Durham. Um, so, you know, again, the ECB have listened, that people wanted some to be able to see the team up north. So we'll be off to Durham for one of those matches. And the other place, number three, the other place that hasn't seen very much uh, top-level women's cricket and no international women's cricket for, uh, apart from the World Cup final for a long time, is London. And we've got a match at Lords. Mm -hmm. So we've got a match against India at Lords and ODI at Lords. A sort of rematch of the World Cup final. Um, yeah. And that's, that's a great opportunity to get loads of spectators to Lords and to try and fill that ground. You know, there's, there's a big expat Indian community in London, um, you know, and it's at the end of the day, it's a city of 8 million people. You know, we should be able to, you know, come, come close to filling it. I mean, I, I guess if you were asking me to put hand on heart, I'd be surprised if it gets winds up being sold out. But I think that there's a good chance that we could get 20,000 people there for that. And how awesome would that be, Raf? It would be amazing. Um, yeah, and I think it needs to be marketed in the right way. Um, and I yeah, think the ticket prices are particularly important yeah, here. I, I think. think what's interesting as well is that, that, that the MCC have obviously decided that they're going to make it a kind of women's cricket weekend. So they're going to have the India-England ODI on the Saturday and then the Rachel Hayhoe final on the Sunday. Um, so I suppose that they're hoping that people might make a weekend of it, maybe um, coming from other places to go to both of those games. Um, it's going to be kind of their, their wrap up of the season, the sort of women's cricket finale at Lords. Um, it's it's you a know bit what they should do, You what? know what they should do? They should sell one ticket for both games. I've only just thought of this, so this is Ooh. I'm blindsiding Raf with this. You but um, that I think that will be an, an awesome marketing strategy yeah, because it's unlikely. That either that, that both games will sell out. So if you sell one ticket yeah. for you know twenty pounds for both games, yeah, you could vastly increase the number of people, particularly at the RHF final, I yeah, think, because I think people would stay idea. on for that. Right, dear. You heard it Claire here first. Connor, please watch episode one hundred and one of the Cricket Hair Weekly. We say Yours nice things about you. <laughs> Yours sincerely, Rapham Sid. Um, what I was going to say was, it's a little bit disappointing, if I'm going to be like really uber critical, it's a bit disappointing that it's right at the back end of the season. Um, and I know that the Lords will say, oh, well, we've got all of these other matches competing for attention, but I'm just slightly concerned about the weather. Last time, I don't know if you'll remember this, but last time India were meant to play at Lords was 2014, and it absolutely chucked it down all day, and it was a washout. And that's obviously really disappointing, because for all of those Indian players, that you know, you're one opportunity to play at Lords, potentially, um, and it gets rained off. So let's hope that we get a kind of... Um, I was I'm crossing say, my let's, fingers now. Let's hope we get an Indian summer. I'll keep in this the, fingers in the, crossed. Okay. Until... In the sense of, um, in the sense of, let's hope we get some kind of late September sunshine over that weekend, and that the weather's kind to us. Um, what you said about tests, I think, is really interesting, though, okay. about the test, because your your suggestion seems to be that the impetus is kind of with the ECB. Um, but I actually think that the ECB have been trying to do this um, for many years to actually organise these multi-format series with other cricket boards. And it's been the other boards who have been totally unreceptive, um, with the exception of Cricket Australia. Um, it's been, you know, the BCCI and Cricket South Africa have been saying, no, why would we play a multi-format series? So it seems to me that the people who have changed their attitude are the, are the people in Cricket South Africa. 
Um, now, I think that's really interesting, um, kind of strategically, because it suggests that, um, you know, another cricket board has decided, oh, maybe it is worth us playing a test. It's not the ECB. The ECB have always been pushing women's test cricket, and that's been kind of Claire Connor's baby in a way. Um, she's been really keen to push them. Um, so I think that's really interesting and um, really encouraging as well for the kind of overall cause of women's test cricket. Now, I do think that potentially some of this has come about because of that really exciting test finish that we had recently in the Ashes, um, which has obviously got loads of media coverage, loads of people talking about it, loads of people watching it because it was such an amazing finish and so exciting. Um, and that's fantastic. It does kind of make me think, um, actually, you know, Three years ago at Taunton in 2019, Meg Lanning had the opportunity to make this happen three years earlier um, when she, I, I know I'm going to get sick from this because people think I don't like Meg Lanning, um, but she had the opportunity to put England out there and, and engineer an exciting finish in 2019, didn't she, Sid? And she, she did. And she didn't take it. Didn't. And this is what happens when you engineer those exciting finishes like she did in the recent Ashes test at Canberra. Um, you get people excited about the cause of Test cricket and you potentially genuinely make a huge difference to the attitude of the administrators of the cricket boards to going, let's play women's Test cricket. Um, and that's such a, yes, it's a big responsibility to put on the players, but it, it's there, it's happened, it's made a difference. That could have happened years ago. And so I do feel that it's, it's great that it's happened, but my, my criticism of Meg Lanning in 2019 for not making it happen then, I feel, was justified. <laughs> I've kind of made this about me. It wasn't meant to be about me. Um, but it is, it's about, it's kind of trying to reflect, actually, um, that when we say that um, it's important what happens in women's tests and it's important that the players kind of really go at it and make it an exciting spectacle, this is the result, I think, of what can happen. Anyway, I'll stop banging on about it now. Um, we're really excited about another women's test in the calendar. Um, can't wait to get to Taunton. Um, let's wrap up there for now.